morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and across the table from me is Rick Whitmer. Rick, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, I woke up this morning, and... That was um, going to be my joke. And God, did you... Okay, I mean, we can rewind it. No, no, you go could, for it. Um, go for it. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. I actually did wake up this morning, well, and God has sustained me, so I'm doing well. <laughs> you woke up this morning? Yes, sir. And obviously. You're here, and we're talking. Yeah. So what you're hearing Jeremy do is, um, is this is how he approaches uh, exegesis, <laughs> is he observes as much as he possibly can from the text right in front of him. So yes, Jer, I did in fact wake up this morning. We are in fact talking right now. And uh, I'm really happy to be doing that with you. So, <laughs> these are usually how our conversations go. That, that is true. <laughs> oh man, uh, what are we talking about? Well, we are talking about the woke church, the woke church. Uh, Rick, you and John did a sermon series, a very short sermon series, a few months back now on uh, all the social justice phenomenon that's happening uh, right now. Yeah. Um, and you talked about this idea of the woke church in your sermon. Did I? Yeah. Well, you mentioned it at least. Wow. You said... You, I'm sorry. I'm not being facetious. I, I truly don't remember that. You so, said... But you I'm said glad you word. do. <laughs> well, well, somebody's, found. somebody's listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, at least you mentioned the idea of the woke church. Okay. Uh, now, the natural question to that is, is what is the woke church? The woke church. This seems to be something that's new. I don't know. Maybe. I don't I know. Don't know. It's, it's always interesting to qualify church with an adjective, right? Like mm-hmm. the persecuted church, the woke church. And I understand what we mean by by those things, you know, there is merit at looking at the the part of the church that is really facing intense persecution, the kind that that voice of the martyrs, you know, puts before us regularly, and 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 yet, you know, we look at scripture and we we realize, and I'm constantly emphasizing this to my kids that that we are not a separate church from them. Mm-hmm. You know, our brothers and sisters in North Korea are suffering because they believe the exact same things we freely express Mm -hmm. you know it's just we don't have the backlash for it at this point the way they do and yet we're one with them and so when we talk about the woke church the question is why is there a separate church you know what Mm -hmm. does it mean which is what you're asking i get it and so um i'm going to just right up front point our listeners to uh, a, a wonderful resource that really delves into these things it's been immensely helpful in in me helping me get my bearings on these things, mm-hmm. things that I honestly wish that we didn't have to talk about because it wasn't so prominent, but it is. And so we do need to think biblically about it. And so the resource I'm going to suggest is um, the Statement on Social Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was drafted two years ago. Um, it's garnered a lot of controversy. In fact, even within um, the Reformed community that we are a part of um, at, at large, um, this is actually maybe the issue of greatest controversy and debate. Hmm. But the statement on social justice, which you can find at statement on social statement on 
what is it? The statement on socialjustice.com, I believe, yes, is not just a, a statement of 14 affirmations and denials that help us really think through what it is that we believe in relation to the current conversation about um, the transgender revolution, about racial issues and things like that, but also has uh, a series of articles, sermons, and talks that really get into this in a deep way. So a number of sources there, which I've drawn on in our conversation here today Mm -hmm. and up to now. But basically, the idea of the woke church is synonymous with the idea of being woke, a term which we've heard a lot about. And if anybody listening doesn't know what it is, it's then you're definitely not woke. <laughs> I'm going to just tell you that right now. Yeah, so if right. this is the first time you're hearing that you are not woke, um, here's the cold ice water being poured on your head. But basically, the idea of being woke, um, it has to do with racial awareness in a very particular way. Okay. Um, it in the later part of the civil rights movement in the 1960s, um, that's what this goes back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this claim of being woke uh, has to do with what is the nature of racism in America, particularly toward the black community. Mm-hmm. And so we hear a lot about systemic racism right now. We hear a lot about America was founded on racism um, and so built into what America is, is the idea of systematic oppression toward, and in the case of police, hunting down black Americans. Mm-hmm. So much so that this is the air that our African-American brethren um, breathe, so, as it were. Um, and so we really started to hear a lot about wokeness um, with the Mike Brown shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, when Ferguson started rioting back when Black Lives Matter as as an organization really got some big press. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole, you know, I was talking to some of the police officers in uh, in Moxie, where I live, and even in my little small town of four to 5,000 people, just during a routine uh, interaction with citizens, even some people out there um, just parroted that phrase that we've, that goes back to Mike Brown, hands up, don't shoot. You know, which is this allegedly, uh, allegedly the words he said said before he was shot by the police, which further investigation finds out that actually is not true. Mm-hmm. The way that this, you know, the Mike Brown riots were in response to a false narrative of what actually happened with Mike Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when we, people began using the term woke to refer to awareness of systemic racism in America, in this very particular history of America that a lot of us haven't really heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, not because there's a denial of our very difficult and dark past with slavery mm-hmm. or you know, with civil rights, but just that it's this is everything about America is poised against a particular um, subgroup of people. Mm-hmm. So that's what wokeness is. If you are a white person who is woke, you have come to see from the perspective of the systematically oppressed black person who no matter where they go it's everywhere even if it's not overt this is the implicit assumption of what it is to be american as we are systematically oppressing the black community hmm. in a nutshell that's what wokeness is hmm. um and so it involves embracing the narrative that american society is built upon and runs on discrimination against black people 
which is why when you're hearing voices in the street rioting or you're even at peaceful protests listening to people like Sean King um, say, we're here to tear the system down. We're not here to reform the system. We're not here to reform the police. We're here to defund, dismantle, replace, Mm -hmm. because there is no reformation for something that is fundamentally oppressive. Mm -hmm. So truly, when it comes down to it, um, wokeness leads to the embrace of revolution. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, I'm just going to be as blatant as I can be about it because mm-hmm. literally that's what's at stake here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a commitment to a social justice agenda as defined by the wider culture, which is important to realize. Um, the woke church, you know, to bring this into the church, most basically is taking that idea of wokeness, that embrace of the narrative of systemic racism at the heart of America, no matter where you are, and then bringing it into the church and saying, now it's, it's, it's the church that has embraced that idea mm-hmm. so that we can now love our neighbors as ourselves. And I was listening to a short video by Dr. Eric Mason, who's, who's a black preacher in Philadelphia, who wrote the book Woke Church. Uh, you're reading it. Mm-hmm. I have not read it, but I watched him talk about where it came from. And he locates that in the text, because that's a natural question for Christians, right? It's like, where do we see this in the text? Well, Ephesians 5.14, he says, which which says, Arise, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And apparently that's the textual basis for wokeness. So, wakey, wakey. Um <laughs> And if you don't embrace it, then you as a Christian are abnegating your Christian duty. You're neglecting your birthright as one of the Lord's people. And so you have to embrace racial justice as defined by the culture. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. What's so insidious about this, um, I was reading an article by Samuel Say, who is um, an African immigrant living in Canada. He does a lot of work on racial issues, Mm -hmm. and he's particularly concerned with how Christians think about these things. Wonderful guy. Um, Really solid perspective. And he actually says this, where this leads is back to the Holocaust. Mm. Um, (laughs) This was the narrative that that was being told about the Jews Mm -hmm. in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, Adolf Hitler was saying a lot of things that made a lot of sense to a lot of people in the 1920s. He formalized it in the 1930s and then uh, oversaw the slaughter of 6 million Jews in the 1940s. So mm-hmm. ideas have consequences, and it disturbs me how often I hear um, people act as if where ideas came from don't matter as much as just where we are now. Mm-hmm. Is Man, sorry. That's yeah, no. trying to take such a big topic... Like, what does it mean to be woke and boil it down as it, it pertains to uh, to Christians? Mm-hmm. You know, and one more thing is just I'll say, you know, the idea of social justice, which we hear a lot about, that is a loaded term which means something very specific. It is different than biblical justice. Mm. Okay, it is different than biblical justice. Social justice as a thing now goes back to the 1800s to a Catholic priest named Luigi Teparelli. Um, I didn't it, know you were fluent. I am fluent in... in saying Luigi. Um, it goes back to my Nintendo days uh, playing Mario, actually. <laughs> and so uh, he began to apply 
the idea of how justice works in a broader society rather than just to individuals. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) No, it does. You're not woke. It does. Um, Now you, going back to your sermon that you preached, you talked about the dangers of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, You, and if anyone's listening to this podcast, hopefully somebody is, uh, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to Rick's Rick's sermon on on this issue. Um, from like June, I think it was June 20th. Yeah. Don't act like you don't know the exact date, because you do. Uh, <laughs> it's not that I don't know, it's that I, I might have forgotten. <laughs> um, what are we doing, man? I don't know. I don't know. So... Uh, is there a correlation, Rick, between the Black Lives Matter movement and the woke church? And if so, if so, if there is a correlation between the Black Lives Matter movement and the church and the woke church, uh, how does that pose a problem for the larger church? Yeah. Um, so short answer, yes, there is a correlation. Um, more in-depth answer is both are committed to social justice, as I explained it a few minutes ago, mm. um, which is an idea of justice that is, it's distri- it's focused, you can look it up, the dictionary definition of social justice is distributive justice, mm-hmm. or more accurately, redistributive justice. Mm-hmm. So rather than biblically, where justice happens fundamentally at the heart level of treating your neighbor as yourself, Treating them as they deserve to be treated. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, I'm going to read to you here from Exodus 23 how biblical justice looks. You know, so Israel is going to go into the promised land and this is how they were supposed to live. You shall not spread a false report. <laughs> you shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You know, I'm, I'm actually thinking about Sean King over in Wisconsin right now who says, if you won't tell us who was involved in this shooting, um, you know, last week, then I'm just going to start naming names. What is that? That's spreading a false report and joining hands with the wicked Mm -hmm. as a malicious witness in order to put innocent lives at risk. Mm -hmm. You know, and the text goes on. It says, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Thinking about what we've seen with riotings in our cities burning to the ground this, this summer. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Okay. So just because somebody's poor, don't be partial to that man. Mm. You look for what is true, and you treat the poor and the rich fairly, Mm. okay? If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That's your enemy, Mm -hmm. okay? You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in your lawsuit, Mm. And so in there, you've got both both ends of the spectrum. Don't show partiality to the poor. Don't pervert the justice due to the poor. Okay? So these are, I mean, and the text goes on from there. But social justice is distributive. And so it doesn't look at what each person rightly deserves and how they should be treated with equity. It looks at outcomes. And the change is what used to be um, a very individual, personal thing, doing justice to each and every person. Mm. Right. We we believe that in the Declaration of Independence terms, all men are endowed with life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm. 
Well, rather than that, each person focus, which is the foundation of America, right? And which is a biblical view of justice. Not that there's not societal justice, but, you know, what's at the heart of this? It changes the focus now to groups of people. Mm. And so this is where it goes back to, uh, you might have heard the term cultural Marxism. And, and some people say that even saying that is just to throw out a boogeyman and to try to derail the conversation. This is not true. I just read the Communist Manifesto over again. And what Marx did is he looks at classes, groups of people. Mm-hmm. And he says there's the oppressed and there's the oppressor. There's the bourgeoisie oppressor and then the proletariat oppressed. We're hearing these terms employed right now, both from within the woke church and the Black Lives Matter movement to talk about groups of people. And now we need to level the playing field so that the groups come up. And the way to do it is from distributing from some to give to another. It doesn't matter what each person, how each person got what they've got. We're going to redistribute it. These ideas are insidious. They're unbiblical, whether we're Christians talking about them or whether we're Black Lives Matter people talking about them. And if you read the manifesto, basically, of the Black Lives Matter movement on their website, and also, um, if that doesn't disturb you enough, um, the parent organization that they're a part of, which is the movement for Black Lives, these agendas are very much out there for you to see and do the research on yourself. Um, And so both the woke church and the Black Lives Matter movement and movement for black lives embrace these ideas of social justice. For example, Eric uh, Mason just last week in a sermon, I listened to him talk about it. He was applying principles from Exodus to then say that the way forward for the church and for America is to give 200 years of free college education to all black Americans and then to pay back the repaid student loans of black Americans up till now, and then forgive the debt uh, of student loans for all black Americans. Okay. That's just one version of how this looks within the church. Um, so, uh, you know, both claim to be opposed to racial injustice, and yet the, the pursuit ends up leading to further racism. Mm-hmm. Okay, both within the church mm-hmm. and outside of it. Mm-hmm. Both are sympathetic to socialism, which is one of the most dangerous economic and political systems out there. We saw the fruit of it in its extreme form, communism, with the cost of over 100 million lives in the, in, in the 20th century alone. And always, the first thing to go is religious liberty, mm-hmm. because you can't set the government up as God and, and then maintain the freedom of worship of the one true God, because then applying biblical principles that God has ordained to government, personal property, human dignity, always leads to, an, it, it has to lead to an anti-socialist conclusion, right? Yeah, right. And so to be woke is to betray principles of biblical government. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's what I believe, at least, as I look at, at these things. Both um, the woke church and the Black Lives Matter movement focus on reparations over reconciliation, focus on racial division instead of, and in identity as an oppressed person over um, regeneration of the heart by the Holy Spirit through the gospel and the unity that comes to people of all ethnicities hmm. because of it. Hmm. And so you focus on a group and very material outcomes instead of the person in their worth and dignity and their need for Christ. And that ultimately is, is what is most dangerous. 
So it seems, Rick, that we're we're swimming against the stream here, not the stream, the the raging river. Oh man! In yeah. in in our culture, uh, how does this how does this social gospel that's finding its way into um, kind of every area of the life of the church. Um, how is this, how is this effective for the gospel or how is it not effective for the gospel? Yeah. Do you know what? Oh yeah. And we have to ask that question, right? Because yeah. as a church, as the church, we have a, a commission, don't we? It's a gospel-centered commission. Bring this gospel into to all the nations, to all the ethnicities. Piper has a great and very long chapter in his book, um, Let the Nations Be Glad, arguing that, that what the Great Commission is, is to take take the gospel to every people group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Not just the nations politically, but to every people group. So truly, the gospel is the greatest subversion to racism. Yeah. Okay. And so any, any, um, any activity in the church that would hinder the gospel is going to be hindering racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hindering effective godly solutions to real problems mm-hmm. of, of ethnic prejudice and pride and the things that are going on every day. Just in in a way that's different, I believe, than the predominant narrative right now about it, because I, I think that that's an ungodly, malicious narrative that's not true. Okay, but but yet the the issues remain the same. So how how can the church go about addressing those things without subverting the gospel? Because the gospel is kind of what we've got right. to do that. Right. But yet the woke church embraces a social gospel, which when you trace that back over the past hundred and twenty years. What that really comes down to is merging the church with secular resources that focus not on individuals, but on systems and groups of people in society to bring about equal outcomes, Mm -hmm. which almost never include the primacy of personal conversion Mm -hmm. and embrace of Christ. And so fundamentally, the social gospel is mission drift, like primary mission drift. Yeah, right. Because you can end up leveling a playing field, never mind how you got there to level the playing field to begin with, how many, how many biblical principles you betrayed to do that. But you've also maybe now have a bunch of people with equal outcomes who will also equally end up in hell hmm. because you forgot hmm. what you were about as a church. You know, and, and the discussion for the church is not separate from, but it is distinct from the mission of individual Christians within the church or the, or the freedom that we have as individuals within the church as Christians mm-hmm. to live out our convictions in these different ways. And that's a, that's an important part of this discussion. I right. think we're going to get to, right. but as the church, um, the social gospel brings about a threat to the gospel because the message of salvation through Jesus Christ by grace is subverted for a gospel of social works. And so social justice gospel is works, not grace, and it fosters racism, not unity. It focuses on outcomes in this world. In fact, one of the fathers of the social justice gospel movement um, in the the 19th and 20th century is named Walter Rauschenbusch. Hmm. He said this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven, but of transforming the life on earth into the harmony of heaven. 
It's a scary statement. It really is, isn't it? Because it's, it's well, we'll bring the kingdom of God here by our social political efforts. Sure. So this is mm-hmm. this is a goal to uh, really set up a utopia here on earth. Oh yeah, and that's the key to understanding what the woke church is all about. Yeah. And it always looks like applying the Sermon on the Mount, but leaving out the regeneration yeah. of the Holy Spirit through the embrace of the gospel. Yeah. Which, as we've seen in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, is to completely miss the point. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it replaces sin with victimization. Um, and, it, and Walter Rushenbosch, by the way, was a, a major advocate of Christian socialism, which, just like the woke church, is is the union of secular socialism with a profession of faith in Christ. Yeah. And that's about all you have to do in order to to qualify the word church. Yeah. Socialism church. I mean, it's just, and you look at those ideas, which we sh- which would be a great idea for a different podcast, and it's, uh, it is dangerous. It's dangerous to the church, and it's anti-biblical. Hmm. Yeah, these are these are a lot of things to think through as as a church that is swimming against the tide. Uh, Rick, you, I know that you're a, you're an avid fan of William Wilberforce, who spent his life uh, trying to abolish the slave trade, in which eventually happened. Uh, it, you know, knowing what you do know about that man. Um, how would you respond, or how would he rather, how would he respond to the current racial climate in in this country well, and around the world? How would how would that man who worked and gave his life to end slavery respond to what's currently taking place right now? Yeah, um, boy, that's a that's not a daunting task at all <laughs> to speak for William Wilberforce, and so uh, I'm not going to speak for him. I'm going to just. <laughs> Based on what we've looked at from Scripture, knowing his radical Christ-centeredness, mm-hmm. his commitment to the Word of God, um, I'm going to just take an educated guess on how he would respond. And then when we, when we, when I meet him in heaven one day, I will uh, either be corrected or affirmed here. Um, but let's look at just who was he? He was a politician, okay? A politician who did a lot of nothing for a few years as one of the youngest, if not the youngest member of parliament to that point. Mm-hmm. He bought his way in with a fortune of, of inheritance. And, and they just lived a, lived a dissolute life until God got a hold of him through the faithful witness of friends. And he, he really wrestled with whether he should leave a life of politics in favor of the church to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And it was our friend John Newton Okay, who wrote Amazing Grace, a former slave ship captain who was a pastor who counseled him, stay where God has put you and do good because of Christ. This is what God has appointed you for. Mm-hmm. So it was not in his role as a pastor in the, in the church corporately that he abolished slavery, but with a bunch of believers from within the church who applied their faith. Um, they didn't confuse corporate worship in the mission of the church with their personal mission to end slavery. Yeah. They realized what Paul says in Ephesians 4. You know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. 
And so the mission of the church versus the freedom of Christian individuals in applying their faith in particular ways is an important distinction to keep in mind. And it was as a Christian who was equipped within the church, ministered to within the church, encouraged and given fellowship within the church so that he would have the strength to go with his brothers and sisters who were also so committed to go end slavery. He, he, he would begin here by dedicating his career, I believe today, to the abolition of abortion, hmm. because that is the issue today hmm. that slavery was 200 300 years ago mm-hmm. in Great Britain um, because that is the group of people who are most systematically mistreated mm-hmm. and under legal protection the way that that Africans were mistreated under legal protection in Great Britain mm-hmm. so he would apply himself to abolishing the injustices that are codified in our laws now that's what he would do and I think so I think he'd be on the forefront of the pro-life movement. Yeah. And, and leveraging every uh, resource he had politically to end it yeah. and personally. If he was in, in the 1860s, I think he would have dedicated himself to overturning American slavery. If he was um, doing his thing in the 1950s or 60s, he'd be at the forefront of civil rights. Today, I think it would be abortion. I think what he did and what we have to do is don't accept a narrative about supposed injustices Listen to real people and identify within our society where those real injustices are taking place. If you see a law that is racist, work to overturn it. Mm -hmm. Write to your legislator. Be involved in actually identifying real places where there is systematic oppression being, you know, serving as a protection. And and go change that. Um, But I don't think he'd embrace... um, the ideologies or link arms with very overtly anti-god movements yeah i don't i think he'd he'd realize i i hope he'd realize um what and this is what i've been saying for the past few months just we can't just say words and think that those words are divorced from a context we have to be thinking and speaking as distinctly christian and so we can give cultural capital is what I call it, cultural capital through the words we say and the things we do to movements that we might even completely disagree with much or most of what they're about. But if we just repeat the words enough, that's all they care about. They just want the cultural capital so that they will have enough momentum. They don't care where it comes from or how much of their platform you disagree with to then bring in the revolution they want. And mark my words, the church will suffer for it because the first thing to go, I mean, look at the, the the agenda speaks for itself. And so, you know, I think that's what he would do. I think he would, he would be honest about where injustices are and in his role as an individual believer within the church, he would go out into society and love his neighbors himself. So how do we thinking about all that's been discussed on the woke church, all that's been discussed on Black Lives Matter, uh, social injustice, all these things that um, we, I think we would fundamentally disagree with as a, as a church here. Mm-hmm. How do we respond differently Yeah, from what, what's been told to us? How do we respond differently as, as a church? Yeah, as a church. And I'm also going to just say as individual 
individuals within that church, right? Because we are the body of Christ together um, as individual believers who have been regenerated and, and put together in this local body. I'd say, let's be honest about sin, right? And start by getting the log out of our own eye. Yeah. What I mean by that is examine your heart as I need to examine mine. And are there ways that I speak about those who are different from me that actually perpetuate ideas Mm -hmm. that are untrue? Mm -hmm. Am I speaking about groups of broad groups of people in language? And I've heard this within our own church from more than one place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those people are this. Or haven't you heard about uh, those people just do this or this is, and it's like, hold on, hold on. If we're going to be opposed to the shift from individuals to groups of people that the woke church has done and the social justice movement has done, we we can't afford to just speak about broad swaths of people and put them into the same basket. No, we have to do the work of loving our neighbors as ourselves, get the log out of our own eye. Um, examine our own hearts for ethnic prejudice Mm. and confess those things and repent of them. Um, I, for, for me, you know, I grew up in, on the West coast where there's, these things look differently than they do in the South. And I remember when I was a server at the Olive Garden, um, there were particular ethnic groups of people who would, um, as a, as a general rule tip poorly and, um, be rude. Hmm. And they weren't black by the way. Okay. And, um, and I remember just dealing for the first time in my life consciously with hatred toward an ethnic group hmm. toward, toward not a race. Cause there's one race, the human race that's biblical <laughs> but yeah, toward right. a national group of people. And then I would go home and if I was sharing about my day with Jen, I'd say, oh, I had this table of so-and-sos that really just did this to me. Or I had this table of this other group that did so-and-so. Or there was this table of, but I, then I realized, wait, why don't I ever go home and and say, oh, I had a group of white people be jerks to me. So I had as many, if not more white tables sure. being rude. And I realized, oh, there's some hidden prejudice in my heart. Yeah. It's coming out through my words, which is you know, sure. how the Bible describes our words, they flow from our hearts. So examine the words we use. Confess where we are prejudiced because we probably are in some way. Mm-hmm. Don't just buy a narrative of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm racist because I'm white. I just got to check my privilege at the door. And so don't, don't do it based on cultural narratives. Do it based on the real work of heart examination in the light of scripture. That's the place to start. Then mm-hmm. focus on being a personally just and equitable person. Don't don't look at outcomes and vague claims of what justice looks like. So now do the actual work of justice with your neighbor in your neighborhood. Okay, that's where we need to keep things. Mm-hmm. Um, speak the truth in love. Don't capitulate where truth is being maligned or distorted. Mm-hmm. Empathy at the at the cost of truth is not empathy. It's empowerment of of deception. Okay, hmm. so we need to be we as Christians we can love like Jesus. And not give a pass on lies. Yeah. Okay. And I know that not everybody agrees with me on that, but but I believe that that's where we have to be. Speak the truth in love. Um, and then listen to the real pain of real people who have experiences that are different from ours. Um, you know, I've talked to people in my life who, according to the narrative, are supposed to have a certain experience. And I ask them, hey, what do you make of all this? What's been your experience? And it's been... Very interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, not everybody experiences things this way, mm-hmm. you know, the way that we're told. 
Um, so love real people and respond by doing good where possible in the real people that God's placed in your life. And then finally, remember, it is the gospel that changes hearts. Yeah. Keep the gospel primary. It's the reason we're called to, to this world. You know, that's the one thing we're left here to to do that we can't do in heaven yeah. is to preach the gospel to lost people. Yeah. There's no lost people in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's a, that would be our starting point. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, we can't devoid justice without the gospel. Right. Right. If because I, if the, I said because that right. the version of justice we're hearing about is unbiblical to begin with. Yeah. And so we need to get back to the text yeah. and yeah. be honest with the text. Don't just, yeah pull out proof texts like yeah. awake, go sleeper and rise from the dead and say, Hey, there's woke. Right. That's rubbish. Right. Right. It's, it starts with the gospel. It does. And like yeah. Paul says, this is the gospel you believed the gospel in which you stand, the gospel by which you are being saved. Right. Exactly. Past, present and future. All of it is gospel centered. Yeah. 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 Church. We hope that this is, these topics that we are discussing is helpful for you as you process everything that's taking place uh, in this world. Uh, as Rick mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, go go check out the statement on social justice. That's that's very helpful in how you think about this. It's very grounded in Scripture uh, and and will help you think. Uh, biblically in light of everything that's taking place if you have any questions uh, feel free to contact us here at the church uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, answer those questions for you we love you church we look forward to being with you again next week on the voice of the valley have a great day